0: Turning back to passage we read from in our scripture reading in Luke chapter 13 and in particular the parable of the barren fig tree, a well-known parable, a simple picture, but as with all the parables of the Lord Jesus, deceptively deep and profound and communicating uh, spiritual truths in a powerful and memorable way. And uh, we'll come to the parable in a minute but we just think about what it is, what it speaks of the setting and it is a fig tree and as we read in the text it's planted in a vineyard and so you've really got two types of horticulture I suppose going on there and I suppose the main objective was, was the vines, the vineyard normally these would have been walled enclosures but the centerpiece would have been that tree. That would have been the The focal point in time, as it matured, an attractive tree providing shade and fruit, hopefully, a place to recline and reflect. So really quite a significant and meaningful thing, that simple and commonplace uh, setting that we're speaking about. Of course, it would have been familiar to all of his hearers, the genius of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, was how he would draw from familiar pictures, wasn't it? Everyday things and make those applications. And they still work for us across the centuries. Well, he simply told the parable. He didn't actually make the applications. That was left for the hearer to consider. That was left for us. In some ways, we might say it's obvious. But with spiritual blindness, people do really often miss the point And they don't understand it, even though we might say it in plain words. And this was the practice of the Lord Jesus Christ, actually. Uh, He uh, didn't always give the meaning. He did, when he did, it was to his disciples, really. He explained, for example, with the parable of the sower afterwards, he explained the meaning to them without getting sidetracked. That's a very helpful example because it gives us uh, techniques It gives us the keys about parables and how we're meant to apply them. But uh, he said this in Mark 4.13, Therefore speak speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And so even before we begin to look at the parable, that's a caution for us. Make sure that we don't miss the meaning. How tragic it is if we hear what Peter called... The words of life. He said to the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom may we go? Thou hast the words of life. And how tragic that so many hear those words of life, but don't hear them. They have ears, but they don't hear. So just a caution that we need to listen and look uh, for the teaching. Before we come again to the parable itself, there is some context. So the verses preceding it are immediately applicable and relevant. It wasn't a break, really, in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he told this parable, there was a particular background, situation, context, and setting. And it's there set out for us at the beginning of chapter 13. At that time, it says that there were some Jews, most likely, who told him of the Galileans, people from that area, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he Referring to an incident, apparently, where Pilate, or at least the Roman forces, had uh, perhaps disrupted a service of worship, and uh, there had been bloodshed, there had been religious persecution, and uh, this, of course, was uh, a great scandal and caused outcry. And uh, the people told the Lord Jesus Christ about it. But it's his response that begins to give us the context for our parable. And of course he picks up, it's recorded for our learning, and his response is most instructive to us. He says in verse 2, verse 2 of chapter 13, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. Now there was, before I look further, a common perception or understanding, apparently, that uh, if misfortune befell you, if tragedy came your way, sudden loss, That was really a kind of judgment of God because you were deserving of it. You'll remember Job's counselors uh, followed the same line of reasoning, actually. His so-called comforters, they weren't comforters, but they tried to tell him that his afflictions were simply because he was a sinful man and he deserved it. And uh, that was apparently a view that continued. And so uh, the people must have believed that this befell those victims because they were due that punishment. And then conversely, if you lived a life that was relatively calm and uh, seemed to sail through without any major difficulties, you seem to get people like that, don't you? It seems some have all the difficulties and problems and others don't seem to. They uh, get through life without too much trouble. And such people at that time might have believed, well, this is God's favor. Uh, I don't have troubles, I don't suffer like you because I'm a righteous person. God is pleased with me, so he spared me these things. But the Lord Jesus Christ cut completely across that false view. And the total inclusiveness of what he said is what we need to take note of. Do you think that this happened to them, and this really echoes what I've been saying, because they were sinners above all? That's the teaching, you see. Do you imagine... That this was their deserving. They were worse than other people. That's why God punished them there and then. No. There was no difference. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And that's a teaching for us, for all mankind. We all like to imagine by nature that we're righteous. Or if not completely righteous, decent people. God might be reasonably pleased with us. We're not as others. We we don't sin outrageously. Of course, we all slip and slide and we make excuses for that. But uh, it's very hard for us to accept the blame at our doorstep. It's always someone else. But what the Lord Jesus Christ does is he puts the truth right there in the view of every individual. Here it is. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise, just the same, perish. And then he himself gives another example, uh, which is the tower of Siloam in verse four. Those eighteen, and he makes the point again. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Just to emphasise it, he brings another uh, well-known case. No. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise. Perish, And so really that's uh, quite a, uh, an eye-opener, isn't it? It's quite a wake-up call. And that's a wake-up call to us. This is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could say in some senses this is a summary of what the gospel is. The gospel is this, that all men everywhere need to repent, without exception. That's what the Lord Jesus essentially says here. Now some think that this will include, and it quite possibly did, only a message to the Jews, because the Jewish era was really almost over. As I'm sure you know, in AD 70, Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed, temple broken down by the Romans, and that marked the end of the Jewish era nation. They were dispersed until modern times, I suppose you would say. But, uh, and so the warning some people think it's just to them unless they repent. But no, this extends to all mankind. And then he spoke the parable, you see, and the text says in verse 3, and, sorry, he spake also this parable. So he's really making the same point. And so the context and the theme of the parable that we look at is the need for repentance, for genuine turning to God. Now, of course, These were dramatic ends to people's lives. But they're only illustrative. We're all going to die anyway, aren't we? Whether it's in the comfort of our beds, we live to a ripe old age, and we uh, fade away peacefully, or it's sudden. It actually makes no difference. Either way. But of course, these dramatic events help us to focus our minds. And that's what's happening here. So having said that then, Established that certainly one of the uh, lessons, context is about repentance, then we can look at the uh, parable itself. So, what happened there? A certain man in verse 6 had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Okay? So, it was in the heart of the plot, it was that cherished thing. The landowner, it seems, was absent. There was the dresser, as he's called, the gardener, the person who had the daily responsibility for that plot of land. But uh, the certain man, unnamed, came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus is not teaching about horticulture. He didn't need to, really, did he? All the people were very familiar with that. It was a parable of course. And so what does it mean? Who is represented by these things? Well clearly the man who planted the vineyard is God Himself. God Himself gave us a world, a beautiful world, a vineyard if you will, a place to live, a place for beauty and peace and nourishment. And he planted a tree in the vineyard. Now I won't equate that back to the trees in the Garden of Eden because the tree in this case represents you and me. And he came to seek fruit thereon. That was the primary purpose or one of the main purposes of that tree. He said he wanted a harvest of figs, a lovely and precious fruit in that day. And he came to seek it, rightly so. That was a fig tree that was its fruit. That's what it should produce in the normal course of events. And so it was reasonable, wasn't it, that he should expect to see a harvest of figs. But when he came, he saw the tree, certainly. And for all we know, the tree might have looked vigorous, green-leafed, sturdy, one imagines. But one thing missing, no fruit. Where you looked, where you... um, Left up the leaves, perhaps, hopefully, some buds coming. No, nothing. Something wrong here. This tree is not fruiting. But remember, it's a parable. And we are in view. We have not produced fruit before we come to conversion, before we come to salvation. Whilst we live in the world, you see, we occupy the world. We occupy a space. We happily take everything that's given us. That tree drew the resources from the ground, uh, took up a lot of time and attention from the dresser. We can infer that from what follows afterwards. It seems he was diligent because later on he's prepared to go a step further. So we've had all the advantages. We've been well placed and not accidentally placed. We're not a wild tree, although we live as if we are, don't we, before we come to conversion. We live as if we're free agents. We do our own thing. But you see, God. Who made us never forget that. God who planted that tree, God who placed you and me in the world, wasn't just to leave us to do our own thing. God then looks for fruit and finds none. Where's the fruit of faith? Where's the fruit of holiness? Where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the fruit of good works, not to earn our salvation? Where's the fruit of love and communion and praise and understanding? Bitter fruits. I don't want to complicate the picture because there are no fruits. But we don't have anything. Nothing to give him. Unless the Lord deals with us, unless we come to faith, unless we repent. We will live our days as a tree with no fruit. With nothing for the Lord. Nothing to give him and uh, we notice also lest you think that this man is rash and impatient not at all the case in verse 7 he said unto the dresser behold these 3 years are come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none we can assume that the owner and the dresser and anyone else concerned knew what season this tree ought to start bearing fruit. I couldn't comment. I don't know enough about it. Let's assume it's not in the first year, two, three, maybe not four or five years, I don't know. That's the case, isn't it, with some some trees. They've got to be mature. And so he didn't come before time. He came at the first season where there ought to have been fruit. And there was none. He came the second time. Another year, none. A third time, nothing. You see, the point is that the Lord has already been very patient with us. He has already given mankind ample opportunity to seek and find him. He's had uh, those, uh, heard an opportunity to hear the gospel, to listen to the testimony perhaps of a friend, relative, perhaps some... Calamitous events in their lives, rather like what's happened here previously, not to themselves, but to others, a wake-up call. But all of those things have passed us by. We've been unmoved, unconcerned, uncaring. And the Lord has already been patient with us. I wonder if we realize that. He doesn't suddenly come and trouble us. The point of our lives, actually, is to bring glory to God. It's not just to live and to enjoy. Of course, there are those things which are valuable and precious and God-given, to have families and to uh, find all kinds of interests and to take in the marvel of this age. Absolutely, the richness of life. Who Who can tell of it? It's wonderful. But the purpose, overriding purpose, is to find God to understand why we're here at all. And if we miss that purpose, then we are passing our years away and wasting our time in our sense, in a sense. But now the landowner, this is the point we come to, and remember I keep mentioning the context. Remember that it's of repentance. Remember that if there is no repentance, the Lord Jesus Christ said, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, this is spiritual teaching. Never forget that. Otherwise, he's stating the obvious. Otherwise, he's stating, well, you're all going to die one day. Well, we know that. He's talking about spiritual death. Ye shall all likewise perish eternally. You will be lost. You will be without fellowship with God. You will endure your own punishment for your own sins. So that's the context. And if this seems harsh... Never forget the heart of God. Never forget where this is coming from. Yes, he does need to reprove us. Yes, he does need to shake us to the core. But his purpose is to redeem us. His purpose is to extend his love to us. It's not to beat us down. We can look at ourselves and we should have a realistic view of who we are. And then we should be humbled many, many steps down. But that's not to beat us down. That's just for us to see ourselves as we are, as God sees us. So remember, though, this might seem harsh. Its intention was positive. The intention of the owner was always for fruit, for a good and positive outcome. He wasn't a destroyer. He wasn't uprooting plants. He was planting them with the hope, the expectation, of praise, of worship, of spiritual life, of spiritual fruit. That's why we're on this earth, and we miss that point, don't we? So unfruitful lives, that's what we are exhibiting now. Uh, God expected true worship from his privileged people, from the Jews, and he got none, and they were judged for that. They slew the prophets and had a proud and external religion. But again, we don't look on them in judgment. We would have been exactly the same. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they were the pinnacle of creation. They, in fact, had no sin, they didn't have that sinful nature and tendency. And so, from the best possible opportunity, they squandered it all. And so, they had bitter fruits. And we've done exactly the same thing, haven't we? Made in the image of God, given a soul but destroying and marring that, that, uh, that image. Fruit of the Spirit is what we need to manifest. So judgment. It's a picture of judgment. This isn't our world. We didn't create it, as I said. And the judgment is due. The rent is due, if you like. And we have nothing to pay. God has been very, very patient. I've, ex- I've explained that already. And in Matthew 3, 10, We have a verse that supports this exactly. Matthew 3.10 says, It speaks of the Jews, but by all mankind by extension. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So that this view is supported elsewhere. This is the impending uh, judgment on us. But of course, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Good news, you might think. This sounds terrible news. But you always have to bring the bad news first. You always have to uh, look at the diagnosis first. You always have to confront reality. Don't cover it up. Uncover it. See it for what it is. And then you're in the position for the remedy. Then you see your need so there are two aspects to God aren't there? Well of course there are many many more but two great aspects are his justice and his mercy. His justice. He is just and holy and righteous and he has every right to punish sinners. We have can have no qualm, no complaint about that. No appeal will ever succeed. Our behavior can never be justified. He's absolutely just and he's merciful. Thank God he's merciful. Thank God for the gospel, for grace, for love. How does he combine those two aspects? How will you respond also to what is his kindness? What is his patience? And we see it here. And here the parable goes on. And uh, the dresser says uh, uh, in verse 8, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Here's the mercy of God. He's been so patient with us already. Very patient. But he gives us another chance. A last chance, perhaps. There won't be forever. Here's another teaching. God will not always be patient with you. You will finally exhaust his patience. Not that he that he tires, but his mercy knows certain bounds. He knows the heart of men and women. He knows that there's a point beyond which we will never respond. And elsewhere, Scripture teaches us men's and women's hearts will be hardened, and that though they saw someone raised from the dead, they wouldn't be moved, like the rich man and Lazarus. So, last chance, I suppose, you could say, here. And how will you respond? That's the key. Remember, it's the people that he was speaking to. It was his love that he wanted to share with them. The very reason that he was there at all was because he was going to Calvary eventually. The very reason that he was interacting with people, that he was alive, that he was in the flesh, was because he came to save people from their sin. So all he did was for us. And here is his further work, digging about one more year. How will you respond? That's the key. So you've already been hardened. If you're not a believer, of course, I speak to those who have not yet known the Savior. But the teaching is helpful for us all. How will you respond? That's always the key thing. It's not so much as, well, that's very interesting. Oh, that's an interesting parable. Oh, I can see that. Oh, that's very nice. So how will you respond? Because you and me will be accountable once we've heard the word of God. And the Lord Jesus, I say it again, unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So we're looking for repentance here. But the dresser, we might naturally think that's the Lord Jesus Christ, represented, and certainly he would be included but the whole Godhead is is concerned for us. It's not as if God the Father is this harsh, implacable deity and somehow the Son has to plead. No, together their heart is the same. God is one. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they represent different aspects here. So the dresser represents this patient, long-suffering, kindness, and intervention and providence because The dresser is going to say, let me one more year, and I'll do all I can. That's the love and patience of Christ. I will intervene with this person. I will cause difficulties, perhaps, in their lives. I will dung about, fertilize. Now, to dung or fertilize, provide nutrients into the roots of the tree, that's not just going to be scattered around. They're going to have to dig up the earth, aren't they? Break through the hard clods and perhaps we need some of that the hardness of our hearts our cynicism our unbelief has to be broken up remember the parable of the sower how on the hard ground the seed would not take root was snatched away by the birds and the shallow soil and so on so we need there to be even trauma in our lives Concern, anxiety about our souls. And so that superficial hard exterior that we manifest, I don't want God, I don't have to believe in him, I reject all of those things, I am my own person, that attitude has to be broken up. And then we're ready to receive the nutrients, the fertilizer, which is the truth of God. And now we listen to it. That is me. I have been foolish. I have squandered my life. I haven't thought about these things. I thought my sin was reasonable. Everybody sins. But I begin to see the horror of it. It's unreasonableness. The hurt it causes to me and to other people. The offense to God. I can begin to see that I I didn't make myself. That there's a day of judgment. That the scriptures, what they say is true. You see, this is how we begin to react. And only then, this tree needed, this is not the right term, but a kind of kickstart, a restart. It needed to be shaken and troubled. I've heard too with some plants, when you attack them or uh, break off branches or whatever, they start to grow because they, there's something in their makeup that knows that they're under threat. and They've got to send, send out roots and shoots to preserve themselves if that's not a clumsy analogy for us, then that's hopefully how we will respond, if we haven't yet come to Christ. That we will realize what's being done for us. That dresser, that owner, they're actually concerned for us. They want to see the best for us. They want to see fruit in our lives. They don't want to impose all manner of restrictions and heavy burdens upon us, and yokes. They want us to develop, so that we can be those people, more like what we should have been. Made in the image of God, being fruitful, having understanding, insight, usefulness. But if we refuse, then there's only that one option left, sadly. How will your soul respond? How will you respond to this kindness, to the, of life, to all that he's done. How will you respond to this last? If any in the hearing of this, this might be the last time. Time's passing by. Another year. Look at last year. It's gone. Slipped away. So many big things. War in Ukraine. Queen died. And we can imagine all sorts of other things. And life just goes on. There's just an inevitability about it. There's just a Uh, We can't stop time passing by, and we don't have endless time. We need to repent. We need to trust in him. We need to produce fruit. We need to see the love of Christ and what he did for us on Calvary's cross. Well, I think that's enough for our thinking this morning, and might it be a blessing to each one of us. Amen. sing our last hymn, which is number 550. Hymn number 550. Jesus, I will trust thee, trust thee with my soul. Father, we pray that there would be fruit from the proclamation of thy word, that there would be fruits of repentance and trust and faith in thee. And we pray for our lives, those of us that have repented and trusted, that we would be fruitful, O Lord, in good works, having spiritual fruit. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit Rest and remain with each one of us, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.